0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Nanny Mitts. Tonight we are recapping the last couple games for the Kansas Jayhawks. It was supposed to be three games we were talking about. Unfortunately, it's only it was only two. Um, but to help me do that, I'm welcoming you back to the podcast, my cohort over at Rock Chalk Talk, the basketball editor over there, Steve Fetch. Fetch, how are you doing tonight? Oh, sir. How are you doing? Pretty good. How about you? All right. So oh. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: <laughs> oh no, just just good. Yeah, you didn't let me finish. No, was
0: good. No, I apologize. I'm a little, I'm a little hyped up uh, after the big win they had against Creighton, and I actually just got. Uh, we we have a another episode coming later this week before the Texas Tech game on Thursday that we'll be previewing that game with. I'll be sure um, he is coming back on the podcast. So definitely be looking for that. But um, that's not going to change what we do here. Obviously, we're going to talk about the last couple games. We will talk about that game coming up. Uh, Because honestly, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about surrounding that game. So, Um, but the first thing I did want to ask you, because obviously we didn't have you here to talk about the Kentucky, Washburn, and North Dakota State games, but, um, you know, the fact that they were able to bounce back again in that tough game against Creighton, before we get into the Creighton game itself, was there anything that you noticed from those three games the prior week that you wanted to make sure that everybody knew about?
1: Well, you know, I guess I think it was. uh... You know, those, those two games were, uh, well, certainly in the NDSU game, maybe a little bit too close for comfort. Uh, the Creighton one, obviously, I think, you know, two, uh, two good teams um, playing. You know, I think both played reasonably well. Um, but just two, two really close games. Uh, I tweeted this after one of the games. You know, I don't, I don't really know how good Kansas is or isn't right now. Um, that Kentucky win is, is obviously not looking great. Uh, you know, the, the Creighton win is, is very good, obviously. Uh they're a very good team in, in the NDSU game. Um obviously, you know, they didn't play as well as, as you'd think. So who knows how good they are at this point. Uh, but they're certainly a tough team. You know, you look at that Kentucky game, um neither team could, could really score, but Kansas made the plays down the stretch and Kentucky didn't. Uh, you know, the NDSU game, Kentucky or uh Kansas made the plays when it counted. You know the Creighton game we can talk about. You know maybe Kansas got a, a little bit lucky in that Creighton missed some some open shots, but you know you got to make the shots. So that's kind of the flip right. side of that. And uh, Kansas made the plays when it counted. That that big Jalen Wilson three, obviously, and and you know McCormick with a really nice pass too. Uh, big possession. Kansas goes out there and makes a play, and then um, you know Creighton misses that free throw at the end there. Uh, and even you know even in the the uh, Gonzaga game that they lost, uh, they obviously started off. Uh, really poor, but then, uh, you know, with about 10 minutes left in the game or so, it's tied, so a lot of fight back there, so might not be the best team in the country, but, uh, you know, toughness-wise, they're certainly right there, and I think, you know, if you'd ask Bill Self, uh, he'd he'd probably have the, rather have the toughest team in the country than the best team in the country, so uh, I think he's probably pretty happy with where they're at right now, And, and I guess, you know, if he's happy, I'm happy.
0: Yeah, it was kind of funny because there was an article, I believe it was twenty four seven sports that had said that like grading this team on their toughness that Bill Self gives them a B, <laughs> and given everything that they've gone through at the beginning of the year, like I have a hard time seeing how anyone could possibly get an A. Then after you know all the close games they played, the fact that they played you know five games in nine days, which I think was a bigger you know kind of factor in that North Dakota State game than some people may want to give that credit for, um, but the fact that they were able to gut that win out and really kind of go from there I think is a huge testament to what that team was. So, um, okay. So, so turning to this Kansas Creighton game, you know, because obviously there was, there was a lot that actually happened in that game. It was surprisingly uh, or maybe not surprisingly, depending on, on your thoughts about these individual players, but the fact that David McCormick had a decent game, but that he was completely outshined by a guy in Jalen Wilson um, who, you know, I think has been the biggest surprise for Kansas, this year so far um, I mean do you do you think there's really much or are those kind of the biggest stories from this game the way that McCormick played and the way that Wilson played or, or is there something else that was kind of piquing your interest too
1: well yeah I think the whole overall thing with Jalen Wilson just how good he's been all season um, you go look at like his Ken Pom comps and it's basically all you know all American type guys at this point point. Um, and so for him to be having the season that he's having uh, inside and outside, I mean, I think I remarked early in the season that uh, if he ever learned how to shoot, he would be uh, just an incredible player. And since then, it seems like he's made about every three he's taken. It looks like he's about 33% uh, on the season, but I think you'd have to take that going forward, especially uh, with what he gives the inside, with what he gives you off the dribble. Uh, if you can just keep, you know, defenses honest and make them respect that jump shot, um, that's great. I mean, so, yeah, just, just I think the big... The big um, story of the season so far, uh, overall really, is just how well he's played. Um, not to mention how he played in that game, obviously. And then, yeah, McCormick. I mean, uh, listen, he obviously has not been good. Um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with people who think that he's like a big key to their season because I think, frankly, the, the team would be, you know, better if they just kind of stapled him to the bench and gave uh, Mitch Lightfoot. Uh, those minutes. Um, I mean, I think a big, huge part of the reason why Kansas's uh, offense is only 21st in KenPom is the fact that you know David McCormick is taking about a third of the team shots when he's playing, uh, and is making 34% of the twos. I mean, that's obviously going you to know, drag down your numbers. So if you put a guy like Mitch Lightfoot on the floor who uh, doesn't shoot the ball very often, uh, you're giving some of those shots then to Jalen Wilson. You're giving those shots to abaji You're giving those shots to Christian Brown. Um, you know, even like a Bryce Thompson, even frankly, even a you know Marcus Garrett. Um, if you distribute those shots a little bit more, um, I think the offensive numbers uh, for the team as a whole are going to come up. And then the other thing I, I think about him too is, you know, he ca- he clogs the lane so much uh, just because he has to kind of stand there. Whereas if you have Jalen Wilson and there even Mitch Lightfoot, I mean, he can fade out and and shoot that perimeter jumper uh, and make it with a little bit more regularity than. McCormick can, um, and you know, so that that would free up the spacing a little bit as well, and and then that would also improve the offensive numbers. So, yeah, I mean, I think those two are are probably you know two big huge storylines, but probably for uh, the exact opposite reasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's also kind of one of those things with McCormick. What I've noticed from from what you know the early games that he's played is that he he won his thinking too much, and you know we've we've talked about that in the past, but instead of just going to the basket he tries to do too much inside he tries to put the ball on the floor when all he needs to do is turn around and either do you know like a quick hook or you know honestly a lot of times he can turn to the basket if he goes strong to the basket he could probably go through a guy and actually slam it um he, he tries to get too cute with it he tries to do a little bit too much it's kind of outside his wheelhouse and he either needs to work through it quickly and really kind of start to do what it is that he needs to do against competition. That's not completely overmatched in someone like Nebraska, Omaha, Um, or, you know, he needs to give way to some of these other guys that are being more effective. I will. The one thing I will argue with what you said is that maybe Mitch Lightfoot should be shooting it more. I mean, he is, you know, he is shooting. Oh my gosh, like 88% from the field right now. You know, he's 70% from, uh, from two. And then, a perfect 100% from three. So maybe he needs to be shooting the ball a little bit more. I say that half jokingly, but you know, I do think that if he is on the floor more, that naturally he is a much better at finding the right spots for him to be shooting the ball. So maybe he doesn't need to be a high volume shooter, but he's going to pick the right spots for that. And like you said, he opens things up for a lot of other people. Um, the one th- reason I will say that it probably is important for them to get McCormick going is that there are, you know, when they get to the NCAA tournament, there are going to be guys that Jalen Wilson is just not able to match up with because of how much height he gives to some of the bigger big guys. Um, he may be able to get around them in some cases, but they, he's going to get shut down um, at some point, point. and it would be nice to have a guy like David McCormick who can body up with them, but that requires him, of course, to get going. Um, you know and to be consistent if he's able to do that in a more limited role and not be the main guy um, which would kind of fit him back in with what he was last year you know where he was kind of the change of pace doing things a little bit differently than and then than, than Dope did last year then then he could be extremely successful in that role I do think that there's quite a bit of of pressure on him to be the main guy down low and that's just not what he's suited for at least not in this offense um, if the question is going to be do they? Does Bill Self do what he normally tries to do and force the issue early in the year, you know, to try to develop him for later in the year, and we run into some problems? Um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, given the fact that we are now in conference play, you know, coming up at this point. There's not really a lot of extra games kind of floating around for him to to play with things to really do things that they need to to try to devel- to develop, you know. And there's only going to be maybe two or three games in the entire big 12 conference season where you're going to you know reasonably be able to expect to to kind of fiddle with lineups and do those sorts of things so at this point I I have to agree with you I think that Jalen Wilson is kind of the guy moving forward at the five spot with with Mitch Lightfoot being the main big guy that kind of is you know spelling him and then you get guys like Ty and Grant Foster and you know, some of the other guys that they have involved more and make sure that McCormick stays involved, but isn't the focal point of this offense. Um what what else jumped out to you from that Creighton game though?
1: From the uh, Creighton game. Well, I, I think, you know, I I mentioned this uh, afterwards, and I mentioned this earlier, obviously, but the fact that Kansas gave up so many open shots and, and Creighton just kind of missed them. Um very worrisome given, you know, some of the the good things that they had done defensively and really shutting down the three point line, really shutting down guys on the perimeter um, while also being able to rebound the ball very well uh, that kind of, you know, ended or was put on hiatus during that Creighton game. And if they try that, um, you know, not that they're going to face a ton of better offensive teams than Creighton, but you know, if they try that over and over again in the big 12 season, um, it eventually is going to come, come back and bite them. Um, you know, I got a little pushback on that, which obviously, you know, after your team wins a game, you don't want to hear that they got lucky. But Kansas probably got a little bit lucky in, in the fact that they won that game uh, just because of the number of open shots uh, Creighton missed. I think if they played that game 10 times, you know, Creighton probably wins uh, six or seven of them or so. So um, that was. I, I will a, say, the though,
0: the other thing that jumped out to me, though, looking at the stat line is the fact that Ochai Abaji was 0 for 6 from twos and he didn't take any threes. And, like, I don't know that that was necessarily Creighton playing phenomenal defense on him. It was just him not feeling it that night, which was a little bit of luck on Creighton's side because, you know, we saw we've seen his ability to kind of take over games at times, um, you know, and really kind of make some big shots for the Jayhawks. And the fact that he was completely out of it really, really definitely helped Creighton to stay in the game more than than they necessarily could have at that point if they, you know, were missing shots and Abaji was actually on where Abaji kind of made up for it was on his defense. And I think that's the end of the big story to take out of this game is the fact that even though, you know, Kansas definitely got lucky with some of the shots not falling, they still played phenomenal defense and, you know, for the vast majority of that game really affected a lot of the things that Creighton was trying to do and gave Creighton a few looks that I don't know that Creighton has seen or is going to see for the rest of the year, um, that really helped to stifle what that offensive output from Creighton was going to be. So yes, they definitely got lucky that Creighton missed open shots, but I do also think that they kind of manufactured some of their luck in, you know, frustrating what Creighton was trying to do, and they were a bit unlucky on the offensive end for some of the things that they wanted to, to or and, and that they normally would be able to do.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I guess I will say that you know it's a little bit easier to um, you know frustrate a guy and take him out of take them out of the game type deal like Creighton did with the versus depending on Creighton to, you know, miss wide open shots. I mean, that's something oh, that's agree. A, little Agreed. More, For sure. a little bit more luck based, but yeah, you're right. I mean the, the defense, you know, the fact that they force Creighton to turn it over, uh, you know, twice as much really as as they have, uh, on the season. Um, uh, that's something we're going to be watching going forward, just because of the struggles that the offense has had. I mean, they're still, uh, sub 200 in terms of national ranking and two point percentage, which, um, you know, given how uh, predictive two-point percentage is when it comes to predicting how good your offense is going to be going forward, uh, that's not a very good number. So, uh, one thing I'll be watching going forward is how many uh, turnovers they can create and see if they can get some easy looks in transition. Which, you know, especially with the athletes they have on the team and and you know with that small lineup, uh, ideally they'd be forcing some turnovers and getting in transition. So, uh, that yeah, for nice sure, to see against against Creighton and. And, uh, you know, they definitely got some some easy looks against Nebraska Omaha as well, you know, forcing some turnovers. Not that they really needed to do so against them, but um, hopefully they can keep that going over the course of the Big 12 season.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's going to be interesting to see with all the, the different contrasting styles that they have there. So before we move on, though, to actually look ahead, um, because there's quite a bit to look ahead to, uh, that that nebraska omaha game was there anything obviously it was a complete blowout kansas winning 95 to 50 um with basically everybody getting involved it was a very very balanced game a lot of guys played a lot of minutes um anything that jumped out to you from that game though any of the any of the the guys kind of at the end of the bench that you thought really impressed or even anything that you learned about any of these you know guys that were expecting to be big contributors rest of the year
1: yeah, well, you know, we already touched on Mitch Lightfoot, so I'll, I'll skip him, but, um, you know, I'll just reiterate that I think the both the offense and the defense run a lot smoother when he's in the game. Um, Positive-wise, I mean, I think Tyron Foster, uh, a guy who I've been pretty hard on offensively, um, you know, showed up in a, in a big way, uh, you know, 5 of 7 from 2, three offensive rebounds, which I think, you know, is, is kind of starting to be one of his little uh, niches in the team is that he's a, a very good offensive rebounder. Also, two blocks and two steals. I mean, if he plays like that and does those kind of energy things, you know, he's definitely going to get to to play more going forward and and deserve to play more going forward. Um, And then one on the negative end, I mean, Bryce Thompson offensively just kind of, for me, just isn't there yet. Um, Obviously, we saw this, you know, the guy I keep coming back to is Kelly Oubre, who started off really slow offensively. Um, Wasn't playing a lot because of the fact that he couldn't really defend right away either. Um, Thompson, at least, very good defensive instincts, you know, especially off the ball. He can read passing lanes really well. Um, pretty good on the ball as well for a freshman. So I think he's going to keep playing because of that defense. But his offense needs to improve going forward uh, or else, you know, the, the offensive ceiling as a whole for the team um, probably isn't going to be there. Um, and then I guess another, you know, kind of negative, although a guy who coming into the season I didn't really – uh you count on much uh, compared to bryce thompson uh dewan harris has kind of you know fallen off a little bit after his uh breakout performances against st joe's in kentucky um but still you know a long way to go um probably on the scouting report a little bit more so he's got to adjust to that and um probably needs to to take those open threes when he has them because you know that, that really kills the spacing if he doesn't or at least you know, needs to drive into that open space and then kick it out to a shooter or something like that. But I think he'll learn. He seems like a smart player. Bill Self has talked about him being a smart player. So uh, just kind of just kind of some growing pains and learning to adjust to, you know, college basketball at this point.
0: Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of funny because the DeWan Harris kind of criticisms you had there seem to be fairly reminiscent of what we heard about Marcus Garrett, <laughs> you know, a few years where really good defensively, really good kind of handling the ball as kind of that second you know, ball handler there, um, but not really recognizing as well where it's his turn to kind of be the guy on offense. Um, hopefully he can develop that a little quicker than Marcus Garrett did. Uh, but, you know, it's also kind of one of those things you've got lots of guys that are really good defensively. There's some questions about where all the offense is going to come from this year and where is it going to come from consistently. And that's, I guess, my main worry is, you know, we're we're looking at another team that is going to be. Super, you know, proficient on the defensive end, and kind of wondering what it is they're going to be able to do on the offensive end. And if a couple key guys don't have big offensive nights, then you worry about having enough other guys that can step up to really kind of make up the difference there. Um, you know, that's that's probably going to be the downfall of Kansas this year. You know, if they end up not winning the Big Twelve Conference, is because they're just not going to have enough offensively um, night in and night out to keep up with everybody else. So we'll see how that works, how well they're able to kind of develop that. Um, I do, I do think that, you know, they had a ton of offense against Nebraska Omaha, but that's because you were playing against Nebraska Omaha. Um, You know, it was nice to see Ochi Abaji have a bounce back game there. You kind of would have liked to maybe potentially see some of these guys pad some stats against Tarleton state. Um, But that obviously didn't happen because Tarleton state had a a COVID positive result on their program and had to cancel the game. So um, any other final thoughts? about this Nebraska Omaha game or anything about what we've seen from the team so far before we start looking ahead?
1: I think one thing that, that might help uh, the offense a little bit is, you know, the ability or the, um, the willingness, I should say, to shoot more threes. You know, they're uh, making about 38% of them this year, um, which is, you know, right around top 50 in the country, and, and they're shooting them only on, like, a third of their possession or a third of their shots, uh, rather, are coming from three. I mean, that needs to, to change uh, immediately, you know? Agreed. I mean, they're, they're struggling scoring at the rim. Um, they're struggling with turnovers kind of off and on a little bit here. Uh, you know, if they, would, uh, if they would just kind of let it fly a little bit, I mean, they've got guys who can really shoot the ball, Uh, Christian Brown obviously I mean I think a a three from him uh, frankly is like the best um, the best offense in the country at this point basically you know with how well he can shoot the three and then obviously Ochai uh, improving but I mean they've you know they've got a ton of shooters so I I just think if they do that I mean I think that would uh, cure a lot of the woes because you know Jesse has brought this up as well Jesse Newell If you are shooting more threes, you're usually, you know, not committing as many turnovers. Um, So I mean, it's just, you know, just kind of all kind of blends into itself, and and hopefully, um, you know, we'll just improve the offense overall if they make that one one tiny little
0: switch. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny because you know they have they basically have four main guys that shoot threes consistently, Um, and actually, I mean, you could say five if you want to include Bryce Thompson, although he's only shot. 13 so far in the year, um, you know, all of those guys, and, and I am including Marcus Garrett, even though he's only shot 10, um, but, you know, we expect him to be taking threes as kind of his main offensive contribution there, um, especially with a guy like Wilson that can now drive to the basket to kind of take up what Garrett usually does, you know? And, and so like, I mean, it, all of those guys are shooting at least 33%. Um, you know, it, it, Bryce Thompson is only shooting 31%. But even that, like, is is a really good number for him when he's you know shooting forty one percent from twos. So like, everything there yells to me. They've got you know they've got four really good three point shooters and potentially five good, better than average three point shooters. Like, they should be shooting threes like crazy here. And yes, you worry about the fact that you know there is a little bit of three point luck involved. You don't want to be be completely reliant on the three. But I also think that right now they're. You know, teams are kind of packing in the middle because Kansas has shown a reluctance to actually shoot them. And so being willing to shoot more threes while your percentages may come down a little bit, it's going to open some things up on the inside because they have to be looking for a team to shoot the three, um, you know, all the time. So that could open some things up and make it a little bit easier for them. So. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and actually turn. Looking forward. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. And we're back. All right. So before we actually look forward to this Texas Tech game, because like I said, we are going to have a a preview coming up the day of the game. so uh, we don't need to spend a ton of time on that particular game. I do want to kind of get your thoughts. The fact that that Tarleton State game was canceled. It was the only COVID cancellation or postponement that Kansas has had so far. It probably won't be the last, just the way that everyone else is going. But I kind of want to get your thoughts overall about, you know, the way that this this season has gone so far with the non-conference play. Um, obviously, you're you're well on the record of the, you know, if we didn't play, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like, what are we doing in the middle of a pandemic? But given the fact that we are living in a pandemic and people, you know, seem to think that we need to push forward with this season, how do you think that they're actually doing at this point? Are you, you know, like, and, and and how do you feel about the non-conference kind of schedule as a whole for, for either Kansas or the rest of the big 12?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds here because I, I do think the point that, um, you know, if you sent all the kids home uh, you know, obviously a lot of them would be going into worse Situations where maybe you're living with a bunch of family members in co- close quarters and stuff, and that obviously does not help them. Um, whereas if they can, you know, be in in college and, and be on campus and stuff, as long as they're they're doing stuff, you know, reasonably responsibly, they're probably a lot safer. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I think it's very clear with the fact that uh, they had since March um, to really come up with a plan for college basketball season. I mean, they they probably should have known. Uh, at least by April that, you know, the, the governmental response, whether it be, you know, federal or state was not going to be sufficient at all in terms of protecting anybody. Um, So at that point they should have known kind of what was coming and and made some sort of a plan. Uh, And it's very clear that they just did not. Um, And it's all about, you know, whether they can get the money from these TV contracts and, and from, you know, whatever with regards to, you know, the Maui Invitational and all these tournaments. And, and obviously it's going to be a, a thing when it comes to NTA tournament time. I mean, they're not going to forego that money for a second straight year. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, with the NCAA, it's obviously about money and they don't really care about the, the kids at all. So it's kind of a, um, you know, they can say, okay, look, kids would be safer if here versus if they're being sent home. But um, I don't know that that really excuses the NCAA's inaction on some of this stuff as well. So. Um, I hate to give the guy credit because uh, I do think he's about the worst messenger for this possible, uh, given some of his you know previous uh, antics when his team hasn't been very good. But uh, I think Coach K was right that you know it, it's just such a and beyond COVID. I mean, it's just such a you know a mental health issue with a lot of these kids. I think where you have to try to do everything, um, you know, high pressure college. We be a student, et cetera, et cetera, and then you have a you know, a pandemic on top of it. I don't think that uh, the NCAA is doing a a very good job with that. So um, I I guess the best case scenario would be for them to do a good job. But since that's not going to happen, I I mean, I think you probably would would be best served shutting it down and and coming back once the vaccine is in full circulation and stuff like that. But um, I don't really think that's going to happen. So uh, probably no no, uh, point in, in bringing that up, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean it's one of those things. I don't see them if they shut it down, I I have a hard time thinking that they're going to shut it down for 3 months and then come back or something like that. Um, you know, and I mean if they were going to shut it down it probably would only be for a month because they don't, you know, they could push back that conference, or I'm sorry. They they could push back the tournament a little bit, but I doubt they'd want to push it into June at that point. So, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things. You knew they were going to go through with it. I agree they definitely could have planned a little bit better and and <laughs> well, I think Krzyzewski probably had the right idea if we were saying this at, you know, before the season even started. Um, I definitely understand why some people were upset with the way that he said it after his team had two non-conference losses. And, you know, yes, they only canceled technically. They only canceled one game because the rest of their games had already been postponed, but you know, they were actively looking at that point to try to reschedule some of those games and just decided not to do it. So, um, you know, I think some of the criticism of him is valid for the way that it went around, went about. But ultimately, like I think the conclusion that he came to is probably the correct one that we should have delayed or we at least should have gotten started no later than June or July coming up with really solid plans for how this is going to work out rather than trusting all of these individual teams and individual schools to, you know, do what they what they should have done all along uh, to make sure that everybody was safe. And, you know, honestly, the biggest problem I think here is that in order to really do this the correct way, you have to do something similar to what the NBA did. Um, in terms of bubbling people up, which would require them to essentially admit that these guys are being treated more as employees than they are as college students. So, um, which we know that they're never going to actually do that. So instead, rather than hammering any more of this home, because you know again, I think that there's there's a we could have an entire podcast, you know episode on that alone, but unfortunately, with the realities, of the way things are us talking about a whole bunch of what they should have done. Isn't going to actually do anything. So let's instead look ahead. Big 12 conference play starts this week. Actually it's already started. Uh, TCU and Oklahoma have already played their first conference game, but Kansas gets started this week with Texas tech on Thursday. They go on the road uh, to play against a Texas tech squad. That is ranked one spot ahead of them in Ken Palm. They are eight and Kansas is nine. Um, you know, but it's the beginning of a, of an absolutely murderous schedule for them. They have three really tough games to start the season in Texas Tech, West Virginia, and then Texas. And then they end the season with three really tough games, it looks like, in, against Texas Tech, Texas, and Baylor. So it should be really interesting to kind of see how all of that plays out. But um, specifically looking at this Texas Tech game, is there anything that jumps out to you in this game as something that we absolutely have to be paying attention to?
1: Well, not, I guess not, not specifically. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'll probably get Texas Tech people mad at me here, but it just seems like they do this every year where they beat the living bejesus out of, you know, all these sub-250 rank Ken Palm teams and stuff and get all the, uh, you know, the analytics people talking about how good they are. I mean, they're first in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, but then you go put them against, a, you know, a good team or a team that can kind of match up with them a little bit more um, athletically or, or, I guess, has the athletes to, you know, withstand some of the pressure that they put on and stuff like that. Um, and they don't play as well, you know, case in point. I mean, even Abilene Christian, who's, you know, not even a top 100 Ken Palm team. Uh, Texas Tech only beat them by seven. You know, obviously they lost to the only top 100 ranked team that they played, which is Houston, um, who's good, but I, I think uh, probably not even as good as, you know, Ken Palm thinks they are. Um, so that, I mean, I think that kind of stands out to me is that they just kind of feast on weak competition. Um, good team. Uh, you know, last year they were ranked pretty high in Ken Palm despite a poor record. I think that's probably going to be the same thing. Where I think you know, I preseason ranked them fifth in the Big 12. I kind of like them finishing around there, uh, but I think Ken Palm going to have them ranked pretty high. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're just kind of they're just kind of there. A lot of good defenders. Um, some of their kind of uh, guys who you or who they thought were going to be um, pretty good kind of haven't been. Um, case in point, uh, Namari Burnett, freshman, uh, who I think was going to be, uh, in the McDonald's all American game before it got, uh, canceled if I remember correctly, but, um, right. you know, shooting like 35% from the field, turning it over a ton, uh, has kind of, um, gone in and out of the rotation, um, has struggled. Mac McClung, uh, big transfer from Georgetown who, uh, very athletic, uh, very fun to watch. Um, not so good at basketball, I don't think. Um, you know, did did decently well for Georgetown, but if you kind of look closer, you know, really inefficient, really uh, kind of showed out against uh, the better teams on the Hoyas schedule and then kind of struggled against uh, the better teams, which he's kind of doing here again uh, for Texas Tech. Um, so not, not super worried about that. Uh, really the guy who I, I'm, I guess, worried about the most is Kyler Edwards, 6'4", Jr., um, kind of following in that, uh, you know, Keenan Evans, Jared Culver type role, where he's gone from a, you know, like a lesser used guy as a as a young guy, and then has kind of vaulted himself more and more into uh, like a main guy into the rotation. Um, not as good as those two guys, obviously. A um, few are. I mean, both of those guys were were so good, but uh, really nice numbers so far. Not not shooting super hot from two, but in the games that I've watched anyway. Um, just kind of, you know, miss some shots that you'd expect him to make. And I expect that to, to even out a little bit more and then shooting the ball really well from three this year after only shooting 33% or 32%, excuse me, from three last year. So he's pretty good as well. But, um, you know, Texas Tech, really good defense, or, yeah, really good defense uh, as usual, even though I think it's it's inflated a little bit by their week schedule. Uh, still definitely think they're going to be a very good uh, defensive team all season offense not very good. Um so it's going to be I think probably a little bit of a rock fight uh and it's going to come down to that that kind of toughness thing and I mean you know I, if it's going to come down to like a one or two possession game I mean I'm going to take Bill off over anybody in the country so uh even if Texas Tech maybe is a little bit better team I think I'm going to I'm going to lean towards Kansas winning on Thursday.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things like I think I think one guy you kind of overlooked a little bit would be Marcos Marcus Santos Silva. Um you know, he he definitely has been playing, I think, a little bit better than than he looks like he should, just based off of his, you know, general stats and kind of what he, uh, you know, what he brings. I mean, he's a very small, compact guy, but he's a he's a big guy, <laughs> um, which is kind of weird. Like he's he's short, but he plays a lot bigger than he actually looks. Um, and so it'll be interesting to kind of see. I want to see him match up against McCormick. We'll see how that kind of goes. Um, but it's also kind of one of those things like, they are a really short team overall. Like their, their tallest guy that gets significant minutes is six, seven. And that's like several of them. Um, But they don't necessarily play like it. Like, like, like they can really kind of hang with some of the big guys. They're, they're kind of a prototypical Texas tech team where they are small. They get up in your face. They throw a whole bunch of guys at you so they can swarm and, you know, be super high energy all game long. And I think that's why, you know, defensively they are always so good because they're going up, especially early in the season, kind of what you're talking about, they go up against teams that aren't prepared to handle that that don't have guys that can that are athletic enough to overcome just being swarmed. Um, once they get into big 12 play, we'll see how far that comes back. I think it'll come back a little bit. I don't know how far it's going to come back just because they do have some guys that I think are really good defensively but the other the other thing that Texas Tech usually has is that they need they need to get something going offensively in order to be able to keep up the pressure defensively because they set up a lot of that defensive pressure off of made baskets. And so we'll see how well they're able to do that, especially against other really good defensive teams like Kansas. Um, you know, and so like, uh, the, the thing that Texas Tech does really well offensively is they get to the line and they rebound you know, their, their misses quite a bit. Um, Kansas rebounds their own misses quite a bit as well. So this is going to be very interesting to kind of see how this one plays out. Who's going to get an opportunity to really do that. Um, you know, the only thing that worries me about this game is that if, if Kansas gets some key players in early foul trouble, then that could spell big problems for them. Um, but, you know, these are very good defensive teams that have, that are very deep and, and a lot of guys that can really play good defense. So it's going to be a very, very honestly, um boring game for people that like to see tons of offense because i just don't think there's going to be a ton of offense in this game we'll see how it actually goes i'll have my prediction officially up the day of the game with the prediction article that we're going to have but um yeah it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this goes so any other final thoughts about the game before we turn to our random sports minute which i'm sure you have a really good one for us today
1: yeah. So, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stall because I've got two that I don't. I'm not quite sure which one to pick from. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make one more Texas Tech point here. Um, yeah, the the offensive rebounding thing. Um, you know, Kansas has done a really good job defensive rebounding. I mean, even against so Kentucky, uh, came into that game, uh, really good offensive rebounding team, and, and has continued to be a good offensive rebounding team. Um, and Kansas really dominated the defensive glass. Um, So, you know, that's that's one thing. And that's really the only, like, really good um, offensive rebounding team that they've played. So this will be another tough test for them, probably their toughest test, I guess, although um, I will say yet another thing with their schedule that you have to kind of take with a grain of salt. Um, Their offensive rebounding numbers in that Houston game, uh, quite a bit lower than their season total. So, I mean, that's just something where I I could see Kansas really – you know, making them go one and done a lot, and with the fact that they're not a great shooting team. They don't take a ton of threes for one, and they don't, you know, they don't make a ton of right. them. They don't shoot very well from two, um, which I think partially is because of that, you know, motion offense that Chris Beard runs, which leads to a lot of weird two-point jumpers, which, you know, may or may not affect offensive rebounding as well. But, you know, anytime you can force a team to just take a ton of two-point jumpers, um, I guess it's not a, a mystery why their, um, you know, why their offense kind of lags behind their defense. But you know, with the with the defense thing too, one thing that I I didn't mention um, prior, which I should, uh, Bill Self still not uh, hasn't been held below a point per possession by Chris Beard. So uh, this one with you know Texas Tech being first in the country and adjusted defense and with the struggles that Kansas has had, I mean the the streak might be coming to an end here. This is definitely going to be the toughest one, but um, I think it's certainly yeah. fair to say that you know Bill Self has found something with attacking that Texas Tech defense that uh, most people have not found yet.
0: Definitely, yeah. I mean, this is this is going to be the game where we kind of see which team is going to be on that trajectory. Is going to because I mean, both of these teams are going to be good enough. And I honestly, like, I would I would be willing to say that Chris Beard is probably the second the 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 coach that I trust the second most in the Big Twelve right now. Um, to get his team turned around and to really make something out of the pieces that he has, even if he doesn't have the most talent that's sitting out there. So we'll see how well that works. Um, But like whoever loses this game is obviously not out because of how beat up this conference is going to be with all the great teams at the top. Um, But this will be a very important leg up early, especially if Kansas can get a road win against Texas Tech this early in the season um, that gives them the kind of that one chip that sets them up potentially. So, all right, Fetch, what do you got for us? What's our random sports minute for the day?
1: Well, you know, I, there was just a, a, a cricket test between New Zealand and, and the West Indies uh, over the weekend, but it was such a blowout. That's probably not even worth talking about. Um, so I'll go with the fact that the uh, formula one season ended this past weekend uh, in Abu Dhabi as it has for the last few years. Um, unfortunately, Uh, just a it's just a super boring race every year and i'm i'm not like a major you know formula one expert i like watching it but i'm not an expert as far as why stuff happens when it happens and stuff but um it's just an impossible track for any like cars to pass each other uh so it basically turns into like a, a big procession and just because of the way the pit lane works and stuff people only pit once throughout the race so there aren't just you know there aren't those like trading of uh positions and stuff like that so it was, it was kind of boring uh to watch frankly to be completely honest with you but um it was you know the end of the season and, and with you know COVID and stuff they went to some different tracks that they hadn't been to in in a while and they went to you know some tracks that were brand new so that was fun to watch but um supposedly they're getting back to the the regular calendar next year which starts uh, already in March um so it's it, you know a shorter off season this year than it usually is um and they're obviously going to have that that drive to survive Netflix show out so if you're if you're looking to get into Formula One that's a, a really good way to to start getting into it that what that's what kind of you know reignited my uh interest in the sport so um yeah end of the season you don't have to hear about that random sport for uh for a while
0: anyway that's all right we've that's, that's all right. We've got uh, plenty of other random sports that we can talk about. And honestly, when it comes back around next season, I'll, I'll probably be trying to at least pick up a race or two. So. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, Fetch, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, which Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of, the, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasts. You can subscribe so you get every episode as soon as it comes out. Um, also if you can give us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments, would absolutely love that. If for whatever reason you can't do that, just let me know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You can also contact me on my personal Twitter at andymitts 12. Um, Or you can even hit Fetch up over at the Rock Chalk Talk account at Rock Chalk Talk. Um, if you're, uh, now that we're on Anchor, you actually can go ahead and leave us a voicemail so you can get your voice directly onto the show. To do that, just go to uh, anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. You can leave us a voicemail there, and I promise we'll get you on the show. So, um, But that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks again for joining me, Fetch. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.